are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. In Matthew chapter 16, we'll begin reading at verse 13. When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, uh, Some say that thou art John the Baptist. Some, Elijah, others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. He saith unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father, which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee, that thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I will give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatsoever thou shalt loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged, strange charge here, then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go into Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. That's the reason I do not concur that Peter was the first pope, because he called him Satan unless the first pope was Satan. And then the pope is not a married man, and no Simon Peter was married because he had a mother-in-law. You know, it would do us good if we just stay with the Bible, wouldn't it? Just let the Bible say what it wants to say. But he turned and said unto him, Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. And one other thing I want to say, lest I forget. Jesus did not build his church upon Simon Peter. He was very unstable. He was a little hot-headed. He uh, denied the Savior. And... Uh, Jesus even said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Let me stop again. 
Jesus said one day, Simon, Satan had sought to have thee. You wonder why Simon Peter became the great Pentecost preacher. And he wasn't the founder of a denomination. He wasn't the founder of the church. But I believe it can be explained, and this thought just came to me, and that is, Jesus said, Simon, Satan has sought to have thee, that he might sift thee as wheat. But I've prayed for thee, that when thou art converted, when thou art converted, he said, then you'll strengthen the brethren. Now, Simon Peter had to get converted, didn't he? You'd say, well, wait a minute. You mean he's lost? No, I believe a lot of people have been saved haven't been converted. There's very few people who's got the pocketbook converted. I mean, most Christians have unconverted pocketbooks. Most people know nothing about giving. Absolutely nothing about giving. And we've made Pharisees and hypocrites and Sadducees out of people by preaching 10% and said, you're free now. You've helped to build a kingdom because you've given 10%. You made $100,000, you gave 10000 you keep 90000 and have no compunction of conscience. That's not scripturally correct. Now, listen, you talk about the denominational ears pricking up. They really come to life when Brother Olaf preaches like this. They'd say, now watch him, careful. No need being careful, just preach the truth. Well, I don't have trouble figuring out how much of my property and how much of me belongs to God 100%. Now, I'm glad of that. I'd hate to keep 90% because I wouldn't have sense enough to know what to do with it. I'd rather turn it all over to the Lord. Now, I'm not bragging about that. See, the thing is, it's just good business. You know when I, what I had when, when, when the Lord found me? Nothing. You know how much money I had? Nothing. You know what I had when I went off to Baylor? Just one little Jersey milk cow, and she belonged to Dad, and he had to furnish the hay. Now, wouldn't I be a fool now to try to take advantage of the people and stick aside a bunch of savings and hoard up a bunch of money and say, Ms. Roloff, and I tell you what, I know, I can feel it coming on. I just feel it coming on. Every time I look at that two-story house going up there, I know that I'm going in there repenting. And don't you ever think that Brother Olaf feels like he deserves a house. Now, I know a lot of y'all, you're so nice and sweet and friends, say, well, Brother Olaf, if anybody deserves a new home, you do. I don't deserve nothing but hell. I'm glad I don't get what I deserve. I am grateful and thankful, but I tell you what, it's just amazing what the Lord will do for you if you just uh, give him your life. I never was happy in the world. These hands were disobedient hands. My heart was a disobedient heart. My tongue was an unclean tongue. And I could say like Isaiah, uh, I'm a man of unclean lips. I dwell in the midst of a people. That's where I was living. That's where most people live. In the midst of a people with unclean lips. And dear friends, we do not deserve anything. Everything we have is by grace. The greatest lesson, and I'm still learning it, and I'm going to learn it by the grace of God. I want to learn how to give. 
And if you girls will ever overcome your selfishness and your jealousy and your pride and, and wanting things for yourself, you'll be surprised how much God will give you. When you get to where you don't want anything, then God will give you everything. Let that soak in a little bit. When you come to the place where you'd say, you know, just like the devil, I never forget one night, uh, the devil came. And I tell you, he's, he's real. Do you know that? He's real. He said, listen, and I mean, we were going through some financial crisis. And I've lived in a financial crisis. I've lived, ever since I've gone on the radio, on this 50,000 watt station, I've lived in a financial crisis. And yet they've all been good for me, every one of them. And the Lord's brought me through every financial crisis I've ever been in. Never have. Now, there have been times when the devil said, you won't make this one. You're very foolish. <laughs> you haven't got a lick of business sense. Even my bankers told me that. <laughs> but you know what? They've kind of let off on me. I mean, really, they have. They've kind of let up, you know. And I don't mean to, you know, oh, I wouldn't be proud because God knows my heart. And I still walk in there with my old walking boots on, you know, and maybe a little old cap and... And uh, my old jumpsuit, you know, and and uh, all that, and and but uh, you know they they just said, well, uh, three or four of the bankers said, brother Lofa, come over here, we want to talk with you a little bit. Man, they used to didn't want to talk with me. They dread to see me coming, because a lot of times I'd go in there bawling and squalling, and I'd, <laughs> I mean, I was really in the jam. I said I got to have some help, and and but you know it, it's so sweet. The Lord doesn't make me do that anymore. You know what's happened? God gave me faith to believe Him. And you know, last night, uh, when uh, uh, the announcement was made that $150,000... You see, it doesn't take me long to get addicted to big gifts. I mean, I get hooked on them. See, I mean, I, I'm the easiest fellow in the world to get addicted. And uh, so that's just the beginning. That's just the beginning. And uh, it's going to take $1 million dollars to do right here on this farm what needs to be done. One million dollars. And it'll come. The newspapers won't ever know anything about it. You watch now, about the time we get everything done, you watch the newspaper reporters come out here. They're going to say, where did you get the money? I'm going to tell them again, Lord gave it to us. They're going to, well, I know, but where'd you get it, see? I mean, the world is interested in money! And I want to be able somehow to let God do it so that when it's done, the people will never accuse me of doing it. And they won't accuse my leaders and workers. They'll know that the Lord has come through Corpus Christi, Texas. I don't want it to be any other way. I don't want to do anything I can do. Be too little to honor God. I want God to do it. I want Jesus to do it. I want him to... Listen, if God does it, then Jesus ought to get the glory. And if it's scriptural, God's going to bless it. And that's the reason that, that you girls need to keep on praying. I've said this. I say again. The two greatest prayer camps we have in the world today is the Peaceful Valley Home with the old seasoned soldiers of Christ praying every day. Two or three times a day they go to their old prayer room in there and they either sit or kneel down and pray. And then the second greatest prayer home I've ever had is this home right here. You know why? It's because when you girls get saved and you realize the Lord saved you and delivered you, a new Christian can pray better than anybody else, nearly about it. 
I mean second to an old mature Christian, seasoned Christian, when a new Christian, I mean a new, just a sinner, gets saved. He feels like the Lord is just big enough to do anything if he saved me and delivered me and gave me peace and joy. So, we must make this a prayer home. This must be a place of prayer. Every home, every room in this home and in the other dormitory ought to be stained with prayer breath on every wall every day. And the day that you go without praying and reading your Bible and refreshing your memory on some chapters you're supposed to memorize, that day will be counted lost for Christ. And what I'm saying to the girls, I'm saying to our workers, every worker we have, if we do not spend time in prayer every day, we're out of place connected with the enterprises. I pick out one man, Raymond Weatherford, one of the busiest men, because he has to deal with all the girls and parents and telephone calls. But I warn him as his leader, one who loves him dearly as a brother in the ministry, when he gets too busy to read his Bible and pray, he's through spiritually at the Rebecca home. That goes for Granny, Miss Ernestine, and Miss Elaine, and Pam, and Miss Hunt. And my dear associate pastor, Brother Bill Klingelsmith, and all you farmers and workers and mechanics and boat operators, and every last one of you, when we get out of character with God, we're through. Unbroken communion is the price of Christian growth. I must stay in touch with him. Last night the message stirred my soul. Where fell it? Where did you lose it? Where'd that axe head go? I, I, I redetermined in my soul, I will not be an axe-handled Christian. I will not be an axe-handled preacher. I know sometimes it's easy to get backslidden and burdened and, and, and trodden down and all of that, but God promised me power. He said, ye shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes upon you. And then you'll be witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost part of the earth. I've got to go in all those places for God. And girls, you have no right to stop short of the Great Commission when he said, all authority is given unto me. To me, that's one of the most majestic pictures I've ever seen in my life. Jesus Christ come walking out of the tomb. And he stood before his people and raised his ordination papers written in his hand. Stood there with great conviction and said, All power is given unto me. Now that I can tell you what to do. I want you to go therefore into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the world. And I'd like to remind you of that, the order and the sequence of that great verse and those two great verses. God said, if you do what I tell you to do, then you can count on my presence right out to the end of the journey. Now, what did he say? Here's my text. Now, get into it. Upon this rock, I will build my church in the gates of hell. I'd like to speak tonight on the gates of hell. The gates of hell. Hell's got some gates. 
I looked in my concordance a few moments ago, and I found the word gate and gates mentioned many times. The old gate, the prison gate, the valley gate, the sheep gate, the water gate, the high gate, the horse gate, the fish gate. Brother, there's a lot of gates mentioned in the Bible. And he said, the gates of hell, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Jesus said, I'm going to set up one thing in this world that the gates of hell will not prevail against. I know it's been despised and hated and he put the church in the world and the devil put the world in the church and it's hard to tell the two apart and where one stops and the other begins and the line of demarcation has been erased almost by the devil himself and by modernism and infidelity and the church looks like the world, walks like the world, smells like the world, talks like the world, acts like the world, but Jesus said the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. I'm still... I still believe in the church. Jesus said upon this rock, I'll build my church. He never had a wife. He never said my wife or my children or my house or my home or my property or my farm or my bank account. But he did say my church. My church. I'll build me a church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I want to tell you something else. That's the only institution on the face of the earth that the gates of hell will not prevail against. You watch and see. And the devil's making his final stand now against the church. And though there was a church, there was a time when the church was in her glory. In the book of Acts, nothing could withstand the church. They, it prevailed. It prevailed. If liars joined the church, they'd have a double funeral the next day. Ananias and Sapphira. The power of God was in the church. Like a cyclone, she swept through the Mediterranean world and uh, gained momentum every day that she lived and walked with God. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He didn't say that about your clubs and your lodges. All of them are marked for death. He didn't say that about your denominations. All of them are marked for death. I've seen tremendous denominational death in my generation. I never dreamed when I took up my Bible. And when I knelt yonder in 7th and James Baptist Church in Waco, Texas, and they laid their hands on my unworthy head and set me apart to preach the gospel and gave me a license to preach and later was ordained to the full gospel ministry, I never dreamed then that my own denomination would drift so far and become honeycombed with modernists and with uh, people that had denied much of the thing that was taught to me back in those days, I never dreamed. I've seen the various denominations, the Catholics, started out fighting the devil and sin, used to fight liquor traffic like a Baptist used to fight it. Had great crusades against liquor, now they're making it and drinking it. The Church of England, the Episcopalian Church, came along, believed in healing, the power of God, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Where is it today? The Presbyterian Church came along, and out of it came old Billy Sunday. 
That old fire-eating evangelist that got many people saved across this nation, had great campaigns, and people by the thousands came, and the devil took a mighty wallop from the preaching ministry of Billy Sunday. The Methodists came along with uh, men like John Wesley and then old Sam Jones that preached with such mighty power. Went to San Antonio and preached a revival campaign. And old San Antonio was mighty wicked, not as wicked as he is now. He said the only difference between San Antonio and hell is that San Antonio's got a river running through it. Where are the preachers that preach like that? Where are the Methodist preachers that'll preach? Sam Jones, I went to his, I went through the cemetery in Cartersville, Georgia. My good friend Charles Shelton and his dear wife who came down and visited with us uh, here and in the valley. He said, if you got a minute going back to the airport, I said, I'll take a minute. He took me by there and he showed me the tombstone and on it was the name of Sam Jones. And the scripture that said, they that turn many to righteousness is the stars forever and ever. Sam Jones, a mighty gospel preacher. Where are the men like Charles G. Finney, Jonathan Edwards? George Whitfield. Where are those evangelists today? Listen, the average revival campaign, citywide union, whatever you want to say. You know, I read again uh, the story uh, in his own words of, uh, of um, Bud Robinson's conversion. I read a little of it a while ago. And up on the Ellis County line, close to my hometown of Dawson, Texas, over on the other side of Corsicana, and uh, he, he went to church. And uh, had on all the clothes he had in the world. That's all he had. His old hickory shirt and old pair of wore-out boots with holes in the toes. And he sat there as far back as he could get. And a little old preacher got up to preach. And uh, uh, that lady came and got down there and prayed, put her hand on his knee, had a pistol on one hip and a deck of cards on the other. And uh, he wound up in the altar and... Uh, he fell down face on his face, and about 11 o'clock that night, he was saved. God saved him. Made a brand new boy, couldn't read and write, knew not one line, couldn't spell, learned to read out of the Bible, learned to spell in the Bible. I still believe the Bible's all the education we need. I know that makes me a numbskull with a lot of smart edicts, but I still believe you can find everything you need to know in the Bible. Take you all the way to heaven and carry you through earth successfully. That's about all I want anyhow. Amen. Give me victory now and give me a home after a while, supply all my needs and buy my shoes for me, my clothes and furnish everything that I wear. Praise God, that's all I need. Got it all out of the Bible. Just got it all out of the Bible. And uh, so when he uh, was converted, when he was converted, uh, he, the preacher said, uh, what church you want to join? He said, how many you got? Well, he said, we have the Methodist, Presbyterian. And Baptist. Well, Bud didn't know beans about either one of them. He said, which one you're in? Well, he said, little old Methodist preacher preached with power that night. Uh, he really preached with power. And, the, and people came across, uh, uh, running and falling into order. And Bud looked up at him and said, well, if it's good enough for you, it'll be good enough for me. I'll join the one you're in. And that's all he knew about church membership. But God blessed him. Listen, he stayed with the Methodists. Until they froze over at the pump handle. And then he joined the Nazarenes. But now, what's happened to the Nazarenes? What's happened to the Methodists? What's happened to the Baptists? I mean, just where is the primitive, native, wonderful, original 
power that used to be upon us. See, I'm saying Jesus spoke tonight to us and said, The gates of hell shall not prevail against the church. The lodgers are going to have to go. They're going to have to go. All your fraternal organization is going to go. Your government's going to go because there's one form of government that's scripture. You know what it is? It's a king. That's the reason we're having great governmental troubles and reading it. The state's always turned out to be against Jesus Christ. You know that. Read your Bible. Read your history book. And we'll never have peace. The girls are learning a new song. They sang a little, tell me this afternoon, the quartet, the honeybee quartet. And there's coming a day. There's coming a day when we're going to have a king form of government. And Jesus is going to be the king. And all of us are going to be servants and subjects to the king. And then peace is going to run down like the rivers. And righteousness is going to cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. And well, that sounds to me like it'll be everywhere. But he said there's one thing you can count on. The gates of hell shall not prevail against what I'm going to build. Jesus identified himself with the church as the head. He said he's the head. And dear friends, if we'd recognize the head and we'd become the body, then we'd let the head do the thinking for us. Because that's where the brains are. That's where the eyes are. That's where the hearing is. And that's where the tongue is and the mouth is. And everything that you have really. How much would your... I mean, just let me give a little illustration. It's a little preposterous and I guess a little facetious maybe. But uh, what if somebody said, you know, he has the most perfect feet of anybody I've ever seen. I mean, his feet are sound, and uh, his hands, I'll tell you, they, they're absolutely just the right size, and his arms are the right length, and his chest is the right measurement, and I'll tell you, everything about him is absolutely perfect. The only thing I can find wrong with him he doesn't have a head. Now, that'd be great, wouldn't it? I mean, he's fine up to his neck, but his head's gone. Now, that's exactly what's wrong with the average church today. She's lost her head. That's what's wrong with most Christians today. I mean, most so-called Christians. They've lost their head. Therefore, people say, well, uh, they're having mental problems. I guess they are. They don't have any head left. Come on now, stay with me tonight. You'll never be worth killing until you get the head of Jesus. You need his brains. Isn't that what he said when he said, let this mind be in you? That goes in the head, doesn't it? You'll never have the mind of Christ until you have the head of Christ. He's got to be your head. You say, well, I just can't, uh, I can't communicate. I know you can't. Your communication comes from up here. Your brain is that which communicates. Did you know that my brain tells everything in my body what to do? Did you know that? Did you know that I can, I can, I can take out my pocket knife and just pull off my shoe and break my foot up here? And I believe I'll just kind of, uh, just cut that big toenail off, pull it out by the roots. Did you know where the message has got to go? It goes to the brain and the brain sends out an emergency message and says, everybody holler and suffer! There's something wrong! My left big toe got cut off or something, see? That's where all your messages come from. Did you know that? You know why we're not hearing from heaven? We haven't got heaven's head hooked on to us. We're not thinking with his mind. That's the reason we try to get y'all what? In the Word of God. Miss Ernestine and Brother Raymond, 
I want to charge you again. At the beginning of 1972, our main thing to do out here is memorize the Scripture. We're going to stay with the Scripture. And I tell you, we haven't had a lot of great Bible teachers. I don't suppose anybody ever accused Miss Ernestine of being a great theologian, but she's got sense enough to read the Bible. Little old Elaine over here, bless her heart, uh, I guess the main thing about her, she believes it. She believes it. And she may not can explain it, but she can live it. And uh, so praise God, that's it. And the way we explain the Bible out here, just walk in it. Just walk around in it all the time. And uh, see somebody come and say, well, there comes a good portion of the Bible there. And just what, that's exactly what we're going to have to convince a lot of these folks that have been out in the world of sin. They're going to have to see something real in us. And when they see the Word of God, that's real. And I want to say to all my workers tonight, and all the people that will hear this message, and every worker we've got supposed to hear it before it reaches the end of the trail down here, we're to memorize the Bible and stay in the Word of God. There's nothing that will quicken you, that will bless you. Listen. I believe there's real physical healing in the Bible. And uh, we, i tell you something else. We're going we're to do some Bible eating out here. We're going to continue in our teaching in concerning this temple of the Holy Spirit right here. We ought to have sense enough to know that God, when he built the body, uh, he built a self-contained body. Mother Nature will keep yourself healed if you give her some things to work with. And if you and I will stay with the Bible, and if we'll read and eat and drink and sleep and exercise ourselves under godliness, I believe it would behoove God to keep his vessels well. If he's got a use for us, I imagine he'd say, well, I better uh, keep him well because he's got work to do. And I believe God wants to do that for us. Now, I want to tell you something else. This is not for the sissy. This is not for the coward. Oh, no, this is not for the little Coca-Cola drinker and the uh, shoestring potato eater. This is not for the fellow that just eats anything that comes along. Don't make them any different. Just uh, open up the mouth and drop it in. See, I mean, this is not... Listen, the most drastic thing I've ever faced in my life is keeping well. Just keeping well. I mean, just living strong and well and keeping this voice where it can go hour after hour after hour with no sore throat and keep clear, and be able to sing at least as good as I can, and preach the gospel. Folks, the Christian life is the most different thing I've ever found in my life. And this Bible makes everybody different. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away, behold, all things. And I believe that the old manner of eating is gone, sleeping, drinking, walking, talking, everything. The Bible said, and behold, everything has become, all things are become in e. W. I got to thinking about the monotony of the devil today. That's the most monotonous booger I've run into in my life. For instance, there was a time when I played dominoes. I don't know why in the world it didn't get monotonous. I'd play dominoes and come out the same way every night at midnight at one o'clock. I mean, there wasn't any special thrill, wasn't anything new about it. I mean, if I, I, you know, I got all the fives where I could just make about 25 and domino and so forth, and man, I, I was a domino king, you know. I'll, uh, listen, I'll guarantee you, I could quote most of the New Testament right now. If I'd have spent the time memorizing the Bible, I spent playing dominoes. Stupid little idiot. 
I didn't have enough sense to stay out of hell's fire hardly. And there I was, just sitting there hour after hour, breaking them old bones around, you know, just shaking them old dominoes around, and I'd pick them up, you know, and we'd sit there until I'd nearly go blind. I'd play from daylight in the morning till midnight at night. How foolish could a little fellow be? But what did they get out of it? Nothing. And then after a while, somebody said, have you ever played cards? I said, no. My mother said, there's ugly. Said it wasn't right. Said there's gambling cards. Oh, listen, everybody plays cards. <laughs> We've had some people bring some presents out here and had decks of cards in them. Man, that's when we need a fireplace. <laughs> Can you imagine that? Bless their heart. You say, did you get mad at them? No, if I got mad at anybody, get mad at a loop-legged preacher didn't preach to her. They had a pastor had some conviction. I tell you, she'd have burnt those cards before she ever got out here. Nobody's got anything to do for God has in time for cards, dominoes, and a bunch of junk like that. We've got things to do. Jesus is coming soon. I mean, it's about over now, and what we're going to do for him, we've got to do quickly. What about your time? Think about giving account to God for all the time that we spend. Girls, you have time to do things. This next week, you're going to have real time. Did you know that? Oh, we got to teach you how to eat and how to walk and how to sleep and how to dress and how to memorize and how to testify and how to sing. Just think of what all we got going. Why, this is the greatest school I ever saw in my life to get people to live. Just live. Jesus said, I came that you might live, might have life, and that you might have it more abundantly. And Jesus said, upon this rock I'll build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail against. I'm glad I'm a part of something that cannot be defeated. Permanent. What I'm, what I'm a part of will be still going a million years from right now, all through eternity. Jesus Christ said he loved the church and he gave himself for it. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Other things are going to fall. Nations have fallen. Have you ever thought about how many boundary lines have changed in our generation? Have you ever thought about the wars from World War Number 1? On June the 28th, 1914, closing on November the 11th, 1918. And then we came up on uh, the other war, uh, World War Number 2, and then the Korean conflict, and then the Vietnam conflict. We've been in solid war. Listen, we've spent every dime we could ever rake or borrow on killing people in my generation. Can you imagine? We call that progress? No, that's not progress. That's depravity and sin and murder. Because man's heart's wicked. And then we come along and we've lost the war on the home front. A boy came back the other day. He found his mother and wife, his mother and dad, divorced. His wife was expecting by somebody that had sought to break up his home. And in tears. He said, what was I fighting for? I lost everything while I was gone to Vietnam that I thought was worth fighting for. My mother and daddy are not together anymore. My wife has been untrue. And I've come back after risking my life and bearing the marks in my own body of the conflict in Vietnam. Talk about sin. Oh, I don't see why everybody wouldn't hate the devil. When I see little girls come into this home 
that the devil is taken at the age of 12 and 13 and 14 and has twisted everything out of you that's worth living for. Made you unclean inside and out. That's the work of the devil. Why would you ever want to go back to him anyhow? Why don't you get a good, clean, cut divorce from the devil in sin and say, As for me, the rest of my life, I'm going to serve Jesus Christ. I'm going to live for him. And the thing so sweet about him is that he can take that which is dirty. You talk about a miracle. Did you know that the white paper that you write your mother on, you know what it was? Dirty, filthy rags. That's right. They've got a way that they can take those old rags, they can take those old rags, dirty, smell bad, and time they get through with them, they've got beautiful, clean stationery on which you can write a love letter. Amen? Ah, come on now. That's exactly what Jesus did when he found me, just filthy rags. My mouth was filthy. My heart was unclean. My feet were disobedient. My hands refused to lift the burden of others, even the burden of my own mother. Many times she'd asked me to do things, and I resented the fact that she wanted me to help her when I knew she was so tired she could hardly walk. But Jesus took these old dirty, filthy rags, and for 39 years he's been writing love letters out of this little old piece of paper that he made white by the blood of Jesus Christ. Talk about a miracle. Isn't that a miracle? And think of what he's doing with precious little girls and boys and men and women and the preachers all across this land. Oh, how, what a miracle. Listen, nobody is ever satisfied, complete, or happy or whole until God has performed a miracle on him. Have you ever let him perform a miracle in your heart? Have you ever really been made a new creature in Christ Jesus? I mean, would you be willing to let the Lord use you to demonstrate his miraculous power in your own soul and make you brand new. Oh, listen, that to me, he'll, he'll, he'll blot out the past and he'll renew you for the present and give you tremendous prospects and hope for the future. Nobody else can do that. The gates of hell shall not prevail. One other thing I want to say and close the message. If the gates of hell cannot prevail then that means that when Jesus Christ saves me, he's going to keep me. And what a blessing. I said, what? he does the saving and he does the keeping. The gates of hell shall not prevail against my soul. My body, my life is offered deliverance. And I believe that deliverance goes with salvation. Uh, for instance, if a person smokes cigarettes or curses or steals or beats his wife, or lives in sin, I believe that when he gets saved, that ought to come to a screeching halt right there. <laughs> Buddy Robinson, I read a while ago, he said on the way to the wagon that night, he slept under the old wagon because that's what went to camp meeting in. He said, he said, I, on the way to the wagon, I unloaded. I knew. Didn't anybody preach against card playing? But I burned him. And he was just about uh, ten minutes old. I mean, there was a little newborn babe burning a deck of cards. And he said, I reached over there on my hip, and I took that old pistol that I'd thought about killing people with, and he said, I pitched it over the brush pile, threw his pistol away. He said, I just don't want to even look like a villain or pack a pistol, because he said, I, I have the Lord. He couldn't read, he couldn't write, just, just been saved a few minutes, 
And he said, you know, when I laid down under the wagon, sleep? Why, he said, I guess I didn't. He said, I got to thinking. And he said, I looked up and said, the stars were jumping and leaping and turning somersaults. And they were celebrating. And he said, I just laid there and laughed. <laughs> Same stars he saw out on the prairie night after night. But they weren't rejoicing like they were that night. And but he said, I just lay there and laughed on that old wagon. Looked up at the stars. Ah, he said, it's the greatest night I ever had in my life. Why? He got saved. The gates of hell never did prevail against him. You know what he said? He said, the Lord called him to preach. The Lord called him. I want to give this again. Did you know one of the great things that happened in, Bud, in, in Buddy's life that got him saved? He went to the mill one day uh, to, to grind corn. And... Uh, he, he, he met a little old boy that was a Christian boy, and his daddy was a Christian. And there were very few Christians uh, back in those pioneer days, very few Christians. Oh, uh, yonder, especially in the Cumberland Mountains where he came from, it was 40 miles to the closest church, our Sunday school. And you talk about a war. They had a war on uh, the government people that came out there and tried to put a tax on their uh, homemade whiskey. And uh, they, people were killed, and blood was shed, and uh, those people take those old-fashioned guns and, and shoot those uh, revenuers and, and so forth. And, and but it didn't, he didn't know anything but that. He just knew meanness. His daddy was a uh, saloon keeper and a liquor maker, and he died uh, an early death and left ten children with Buddy's mother to raise. You talk about sin. Oh, I, when I read that, I thought how God took a uh, just a precious boy out of a mud puddle and made something out of him. But you know, the little boy took a liking to Buddy. Buddy's family is one of the poorest families that ever lived in Texas. You think of a widow taking care of ten children. This little boy said, Buddy... I'd like for you to go home with me sometime. And Buddy beat it home and told his mother. Said, the little boy met me up there and said he seemed mighty nice and said he want me to go over to his house sometime. Nobody would invite any of the Robertson children. They were too poor and ragged and dirty. Nobody ever thought about, oh, they taught him to play poker and drink liquor, but nobody ever taught him about Jesus. The mother said, well, son, as far as I'm concerned, you can go sometimes. And after a while... The invitation uh, was renewed, and they told him the directions, and Buddy walked for many miles. Came around the bend, and he saw a house on the hill, prettiest house he'd ever seen. And he walked up the hill, and the little old boy ran out to meet him, said, Buddy, you come to spend the night? And he said, I sure have. Buddy was an epileptic victim. So ignorant, so unlearned, unhealthy, he went in, and it was a Christian family, first one he'd ever seen in his life, and he was getting grown. They carried him into the meal, and uh, there was a tablecloth on the table. He'd never seen a tablecloth in his life. The, the, the meal was spread so beautifully until Buddy said it looked like a picture. He just couldn't imagine anything being that pretty. He didn't know where you're supposed to eat it or just look at it. He waited and Directly everybody bowed their head, and Buddy didn't know what they were doing. He said, I looked all around the ceiling to see who he was talking to. 
said, I knew he's talking to somebody above me. And after a while he said, Amen. And they said to a little old ignorant saloon keeper's son, Just help yourself, buddy. And they began to load his plate. And after a while, buddy said, the man said to him, uh, Can you eat some more? Well, he said, I could chaw a little more, but I couldn't swallow no more. <laughs> yes. But he said they were so poor, really, in their home. And Buddy used to tell it in his quaint way. But he said they were so poor that they'd have dried apples for breakfast and a glass of water for dinner and let them rise for supper. <laughs> well... That's pretty poor, but listen, Buddy became a preacher of righteousness for 60 long, sweet, wonderful years. God healed him. I said this healing in the Word. See, the only thing he ever learned was out of the Bible. He never had any kind of education. He never read anything, never read anything uh, except the Bible. He learned to spell out of the Bible. He learned to read out of the Bible. He learned to preach out of the Bible. He learned to live out of the Bible. And God sent him across this nation 60 years to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. He said they ate and said, the daddy said, now you boys, y'all have company tonight. Buddy has come to see you. And y'all not going to have to wash and dry the dishes. I'm going to help your mother so y'all can go play. And Buddy and the boys jumped off of that porch and started playing. And Buddy said, you know, he's a circling and a running and having a great time. And he said, uh, after the dishes had been done and they were sitting, a couple sitting in front of the fireplace and some old rockers and there's a holding hands. He said, they act like they love one another. Husband and wife sitting there rocking and holding hands. But he said, I never saw anything like that. said, sometimes my mom and daddy held hands, but to keep each other from hitting them. And that's about it. That's a little funny, but that's about the way it works today. Mothers and dads fight and fuss and cuss and hate each other. And little children have to look on and see that kind of experience. After a while, they came to the porch and said, all right, boys, you all come in now. It'll soon be bedtime. And he said, you know, they got around the fireplace and he got an old book and he said he read and he talked about it a long time. And Buddy said, then they passed around the apples and they all sat in front of the fireplace and ate some big apples. And he said, directly they went off to bed after they'd prayed. said, the next morning I went off down the road and I turned around and looked back, and they're all standing on the porch waving at me and saying, come back again as soon as you can. And Buddy said, right there, I made up my mind. I'd never be satisfied in a saloon keeper's home anymore. He got a vision of Jesus in the life of a mother and a dad in a Christian home. That's what we need today, and girls. That's what we're trying to do for you. We're trying to show you how to live and teach you how to live by precept and by example and by the Word of God. And you ought to learn after you've been here a little while what it means to walk with Jesus and to live like a godly girl and a godly child. Ought to live the gates of hell.
shall not prevail against it. I must close the message. I love the church. I was saved in the church. My dad was saved in the church. My mother was saved in the church. And uh, God called me to preach in the church, and he's let me preach. I have access to a thousand churches and more right now, if I could get to them. One of the most embarrassing things that I have, I guess, in my ministry is that I could never get around to the invitations uh, that have been given. I'm unworthy, but I appreciate it. I really do. I'm thankful for the ministry of the church, the local church and the local pastor, to do the will and the work of God. But I'm going to close by saying, I love the church because it's the only thing, according to the Bible, that Jesus is coming back to get. And it's the only thing that's going to last when time is no more. Jesus is coming to get the church. And I believe that he's going to get every person that's been born again. I believe in the rapture by grace. And I don't believe that he's going to leave one child of his to go through the tribulation. I said today, from that verse over there that we read from, in the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 5, in the latter part of the chapter, how that we're ambassadors for Christ. We're his amb- That means we're carrying goodwill from one king to another. We're crossing this nation as ambassadors for Jesus, asking people to be reconciled to God. I'd remind you of one thing. The last war will never catch me down here. When the first shot or the first guided missile by misguided men is turned loose from Moscow or from America, brother, I'll be so far above, it'll never touch me. Why? I'm an ambassador of Christ. And every nation knows that before war breaks out, they get their ambassadors out of there. And brother, God is going to do the same thing with me and you. And if the war breaks out tonight, we've got to go home before it breaks out. And I believe we're, I believe that we're entering the pre-tribulation signs right now. I believe the breakdown of the home, the rottenness of the school, the godlessness of the government, and the immorality and the wrecking of young people's lives and homosexuality and the days of Noah and sin and liquor and drunkenness and dope and all the rest of it. I believe it points to the soon coming of our Savior. That's our blessed hope. Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons podcast from PreachTheBible.org a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, preachthebible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit knvbc.com for Christian music you can trust.